learning about prevailing prayer for the last few months. And uh, prevailing prayer is prayer that gets answered. It's not prayer that sounds pretty. In fact, some of the most powerful prayers that I've ever had answered in my life were not pretty at all, but they were heartfelt. They came out of our heart, and some of the prettiest prayers I prayed didn't get answered. But they were pretty. I'm sure God was very impressed with them. I know I was. So, uh, and, uh, But that's not the purpose of prayer. It is to be heard and to receive and to move the hand of God. Actually, you don't move God, but you, we've learned why prayer is necessary. Why, why does God need us to pray? If, if uh, we're asking Him to do something He already wants to do and He has the ability to do it, and we learned a number of months back, I took you through a series of exercises. You'll find that they are, these notes are all from each week, are posted on the website. Um, and you can go and look at that. In fact, from that week, there was a chart that I gave you to chart how when the fall of man, God, God assigned to man, delegated to man his authority on the earth. And then when Satan came in, man gave that authority away to, to, to uh, Satan. And God did not take it back. And so Satan, that's why Satan is the God of this earth. We'll look a little bit about that tonight. And so God needs a man or a woman, somebody wearing flesh. He needs a human being to authorize him aside from something supernatural because God can still do some things on his own. But by and large, he needs us to authorize him to do what he already wants to do. And that's why prayer is so essential. We've looked at different types of prayer that Ephesians 6 refers to. It doesn't go through a list of them, but it talks about different types of prayer in verse, 6, verse 18. And I went through and, and described some of them to us so because I want you to understand the particular type of prayer that we're looking at is the prayer of intercession, which is a prayer... Where, where we're asking God to do something on behalf of somebody else. It's different than the prayer of faith, which is where we're simply believing a promise for ourselves, and these different prayers operate by different principles. We're looking specifically now at the aspect of prayer that requires us to, be, to persevere in it, requires us to persevere in it. In Luke 18, we looked last time at the parable of the unjust judge, story of a, of a parable of a woman who came to this judge and asked for justice. And, and she just kept bugging him. And he finally says, look, he says he didn't fear God and he didn't care about man. And, and, but because this woman just bugged him, because she persevered with him and she wouldn't quit, just for that reason, he gave her the justice that she, that she asked for. And that parable ends with a statement when Jesus comes back, well, I, he said, well, I find faith on the earth. And so that parable is about persistence telling us, and I've heard all kinds of analysis of it, you know, well, God's not an unjust judge. Of course he's not. It's a comparison by saying basically if an unjust judge who doesn't care about God and he doesn't care about you, if he'll grant your request just because you keep after him, how much more will a God that loves you, that's a loving father, respond to our prayers if we're persistent in it? And then Jesus says, but will I find faith? So where does faith come in? Because persistence requires faith so that you don't quit. Because when you're persisting in something, it's because you don't see the result. And that's where faith is critical because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of not things not seen. And I went through that teaching a little bit again last week about why faith is so critical when it comes to prayer because we're receiving something from God, we're getting God, getting God to do something, and it's coming from a realm we can't see or detect with any of our five senses. So in order to believe it's happening when you can't see the evidence of it requires faith. 
And so it takes faith in order to persevere to the end. And I talked about perseverance is the difference between wishing something, wanting something, and willing to have it. And you can wish something. A lot of people wish to be thinner. They may wish to be better athletes. They may wish to do all kinds of things. But wishing is just a desire that's never acted on because we don't have the resolve to pay the price that it takes to go a step further to get the answer. Wanting something is a stronger desire, but I'm still not willing to pay the price. But when I determine, when I will to have it done, that I have decided at all costs, I'm going to keep after this thing until I have it. And when, when Jesus talks in John chapter 7 about ask and you'll receive, that word ask means that kind of persistence. It means asking until you get the answer. It means not checking it out. I don't to see if you're a little further along towards getting it. I've just decided up front, this is mine and I'm going after it. That's what that word ask means. It's aito, which means to ask with that kind of determination. And so we talked a little bit about that last time. And then we talked about briefly about um, in Luke 18, it starts out by saying, you know, pray always and faint not. Don't be discouraged when you're praying. Am I the only person that's ever gotten discouraged when I didn't see an answer to prayer? I mean, this is where God had to wake me up and realize, you know, son, you started praying for some things, and because they didn't happen within a week or so, you just kind of went on to other things. That means you really weren't expecting it when you prayed the first time. And that's really kind of what opened this whole subject up to me, that if this was true in my life, most likely it was true in, in in, in many of the rest of us. So we began to talk last time about why if, if God wants to do these things and now he's got our attention and we're coming and we're in faith and we're asking him, why, why, why is in intercessory prayer, why are there things we've got to overcome? What kind of things are there? And the first thing that we looked at is when you're praying for somebody else's situation, their will is always involved. You may want something for them, but they may not want it. And God will not violate our will. He will not violate our will. Now, He'll bring influence on it, but He will not just step in and make you do something that you don't want to do. Otherwise, everyone would be saved. Because Second Peter 9 says, it's not God's will that any should perish, but all should come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not God's will that anybody perish and go to hell. So if God would just do what he wanted to do, and he could violate our will, that's the most important thing that he would do it concerning. So we'd all, I mean, we wouldn't be here. Because we'd all get saved as soon as we're born again, or every, you're born, not again, born the first time, as soon as you're cognizant of you know, right and wrong, He'd come into your will, make you receive Christ, take us all out of here. But obviously He can't. And so when we're praying for somebody else, their will is involved, and regardless of how much you want them to be saved, regardless of how well you can argue a case before God, you know, they make a great Christian, and all this stuff we argue before God, He's got to work on their will. And that sometimes takes time. I know with me it took time. And I suspect there are some of you that it took some time for your will to be able to, to be willing to change. And people prayed for you while that process went on. And we looked at some scriptures about, uh, about the, the, the Holy Spirit's influence, that He comes and He influences us. It says that, that He's, in, in, uh, in John 16, He convicts the world. He brings conviction or convinces the world of their need for sin. 
And then when we came to the end last time, I said there was another reason, but we ran out of time. So I assume you're back because you want to hear what it is. All right. Well, you were patient. Obviously, you were interceding and praying during the week so I could remember what it was. All right. Go to me with me to Ephesians chapter 6. And this is something we don't often think about. And in fact, there's a whole segment of the church, and I don't mean this church, but there's a whole segment of the church that doesn't pay any attention to this, kind of ignores it, what the Bible says about this. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Great. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the deceits or the tricks of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So there's a battle going on. There's a battle going on, and our enemy in this battle is not anyone that wears flesh and has blood flowing through that flesh. So look to your right. Go ahead. And look to your left. You're not fighting against them. I may have just solved some marriage problems right there. We don't wrestle against that person. The issue is never the person. But there are principalities and powers and rulers of wickedness in heavenly places that affect people and work through them. And you may be shocked to find out sometime they may actually work through you. And they've worked through me at times. And notice he's, he's giving us a scorecard here to show us who the enemy is in this battle. And a year or so ago, it was more than probably two years ago, we did a whole series on the, the armor of God, and it would be worthwhile to go back and look at that because we talked about these different pieces of armor are for spiritual warfare. And there have been people that have done crazy things about these kinds of verses. And I mentioned that maybe it was Sunday. I don't remember when I mentioned it. There have been people, this is especially back in the 80s, when this spiritual warfare was in vogue again. It's always been important. But it kind of got the attention of the church, and some people kind of went a little haywire with it. And they literally rented airplanes, put on army fatigues, and went and flew over cities to take authority over that's just stupid. I mean, I don't know any other word to describe it. And it gets a bad reputation. It really does. It gets a bad reputation. And you get some leader out there, get some crazy idea, and people who aren't discerning just get behind and follow. And maybe you were some of those, but, you know, praise God, we're growing up and maturing. All right? Amen. All right. But we wrestle on against principalities and powers, rulers of the darkness of this age and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenlies, that literally is. Now understand this. The Bible talks about several layers of heaven. Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 12, he was taken up into the third level of heaven. So there's at least three of them. And there may be there's some theories out there, there are as many as seven levels. The heavenlies that he's talking about here is the spiritual atmosphere around this earth. Not the physical atmosphere, the air you breathe, but there's a spiritual atmosphere here. And, and I, you can feel it in some places. And, and people that come into New England often from other parts of the country can feel it. And I remember the first time we went to the 
out to Oklahoma and to Tulsa, which was described as the buckle of the Bible belt. And I'm, I'm, I'm not one of these that goes, ooh, I can feel this here. I mean, I'm, I'm not that sensitive that way. But I got off that airplane the first time we were there, and it's like, oh, my goodness. You could feel the lightness. You could feel the, 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 you could feel the difference in the spiritual atmosphere. And when, you come, when I come back into New England, you can, you can feel it's a lot better than it used to be. And it's not new. I've just finished reading the biography of, of Charles Finney, and there's a section in there. He did several revivals in, in, in Boston, and he talks about what it was like to go into Boston and try to preach the Word of God in there, and it would sound like it was today talks about the intellectuals and the people that just, you know, and the spiritual, the intellectual pride and how hard it was to break that down. And, but, he, but the Spirit of God was able to do it, and he had some powerful revivals up there. So there's a, there's a different spiritual atmosphere in different places, and that's because there are the presence of different spirits that are doing it. Now, we don't, you know, look at demons on doorknobs and behind every door and, you know, but there's a reality. The Bible talks about this. There's a, a lot of the, the church, not this church, there's a lot of segments and denominations that don't pay any attention to demonic spirits, don't pay any attention to the devil, that whatever happens in your life is because God's brought it into your life. Completely ignores, there's a devil that's the God of this world, completely ignores what these scriptures talk about. Go over to chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2. Let's talk about where we were. Verse 1, and you, that's you and me, he made alive who were dead in the trespasses and sins, were dead in our sins and trespasses, in which you formerly walked according to the course, according to the course of this world. Now the word course there is the word aeon, which means age of this world, the age that we're in. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. So the, the people that are not saved out there, that are disobedient to the gospel, that are disobedient to God, there's a spirit, with sub-spirits obviously, that is at work in them. And Paul's saying, when we were dead in our sins and transgressions, we were under the dominion of those spirits. They were affecting us. They were influencing us. Now go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, or 4, excuse me. Well, let me go on and read here, excuse me, before you do that. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. So we weren't just controlled by our flesh because our flesh was out of control. There were spirits at work to hold us into that bondage, using our flesh, using the lusts of our flesh and the tendencies of our flesh. But it was no accident that that pornography came across you. It was no accident that somebody led you into alcohol. It was no accident that those kinds of things were brought across because there were spirits behind that trying to use that to get a hold of you to keep you in the Satan's clutch. Now, you never would ever, most likely, run into Satan yourself because he can only be in one place at one time. And you and I, most likely, are never going to be that important to him that he's got to show up in your case. 
Jesus he did. But then it's obvious why Jesus was that important because if he could have stopped him, if he could have distracted him, if he could have discouraged him, then none of the rest of us had any chance. But he uses, there are different levels of authority. Principalities and powers and rulers in heavenly places, those refer to different levels of authority. Over in, in uh, Isaiah, he talks about the prince of Persia. We're going to talk about him in Daniel a little bit later on. Talks about uh, the, 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 the king of, of uh, 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 the ruler over Cyrus. And there were, there were rulers over countries and principalities. And the Bible clearly talks about these things. And they're going to become important to us. All right, now turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Now we're, looking, we're talking about prayer. We're talking about why we need perseverance. When, when we're praying in faith, we're praying something in accordance with God's will, so He hears us. Why, why, is, why is there... What's the, what's the issue here? Well, it's not as simple as God hears my prayer and just acts. Because look at this, verse 4. Well, look at verse 3. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God, that's God's, the God of this age, the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God, should shine on them. Whose mind, if the gospel is veiled, if it's hidden, it's veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. That's Satan. Satan is the God of this world. Remember in Luke chapter 3, 4, when the the Spirit of God, once Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, it says the first thing the Holy Spirit did is He led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. To be tempted by the devil. And one of the things that Satan did is he came to him and said, Behold, all that you see, which is the world, is mine. If you just bow your knee to me, if you just worship me, I'll give it to you. Now, that could not possibly be a temptation if Satan didn't have it to give. And if anybody could have discerned that Satan was lying to him, it certainly would have been Jesus. So if Satan says, all of this is mine to give you, and he really didn't have it, he didn't have the authority, then Jesus certainly could have discerned that. So he must have had it. And of course, we've learned where he got it from. Adam gave it to him. So Satan, at this level, at this point in time, is the god of this earth. And this verse says, he works to blind the eyes of those that don't believe so that they can't see. Look what it says in verse 4. Who don't believe lest the light, which represents truth, the truth of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So Satan works to blind the eyes of the unbelieving. So 
when you're praying for your lost relatives, let's go, let's go back, let's go to 1 Corinthians. Verse 12. Now we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is of Christ. So there's a spirit of the world. But the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. You hear me talk about this verse all the time. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that we may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ? Verse 14 says, The natural man, the man who's not been regenerated, the man who's not saved, he cannot discern spiritual things. Why? Because he's not spiritually alive. This is why you can come, you can, you know, you can read a verse and get so charged up, and you can go to a birthday party with your unsaved relatives and you're so excited and they wonder how long do you go to church? Well it kind of lasts two hours. Why would you go to church for two hours? My goodness! That's a whole that's a whole six months in some churches. And, and you want to explain it but they can't understand why because you get life but to them they don't get life out of it until the Holy Spirit touches something. So don't argue with them. That's why you can't argue with them, because they can't see it. Why? Satan's blinded their eyes. So part of what our prayer has to do was to, was, is to exercise authority over him so that those blinders and the confusion is, is subsides, so that the truth can begin to get through to him. I mean, have you heard my testimony? All I did that night in my living room is, is I, in my heart, I opened the door about that much. That was a big thing for me. But that's all it took. I remember years later, the Lord said, because I was, you know, praying about, you know, show me, Lord, how much, you, show me your love. I need you to, I really want to know by experience your love. He says, remember the night that you received me? I said, yeah. He says, your heart was closed to me until I spoke something to you. And in a moment, you opened the door a crack. I said, that's exactly what I did. He said, what happened when you opened the door a crack? I said, you flooded in. He said, yeah, because I was waiting outside the door. I was waiting for any opportunity. And you gave me a crack, that's all I needed. Because in that little opening, I flooded in with myself. And now I became alive, and now I wanted the things of God, whereas before I couldn't... I mean, it was amazing... Because I was trying to get to God, but I didn't know how. Because I could, I would stand up at night and try to read my Bible, and I couldn't make any sense out of it. Now I just spent all day reading, reading law books, and they made sense to me. The Internal Revenue Code actually made sense to me back then. <laughs> Nowadays, I don't know what it's like, and I couldn't understand this. Oh, well, I mean, I could read, but it just—it was dead. That was one night. After I opened the door a crack and he flooded in, I couldn't put this down. 
I consumed it. I couldn't wait for everybody to get quiet and go to bed so I could sit up and I had to make myself put this thing down. In one night it changed. Somebody got in and changed the pages. I know they did. No, I changed. Now I'm alive unto God and these things now are spiritually discerned. I didn't understand much, but there's the Spirit of God inside of me now is saying, yes, see the author was now in me. But in order for that to happen, my eyes had to be opened to the truth. And that means somewhere when someone was praying, that, that moved him aside enough for that little bit of faith to get deposited in me that I could open the door and at least find out whether he was real or not. So when we're praying, you have to understand, when, 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 you, when you're trying to share the gospel with somebody, unless... There's prayers have gone forth. There's distractions. There's, I mean, in here there are tonight. I mean, you should work trying to distract some of you. And you got the Spirit of God inside of you. There's some nights during praise and worship or Sunday mornings. I go through a, a battle in my mind because my mind's thinking, this, you've got to take care of this issue. There's got to deal with this this week. Oh, look, at the, that light's out or this. And I'm here to worship. i got people to take care of that. I'm here to worship. And I've got to bring my mind back and bring my mind back and bring my mind back because he wants to distract. He wants to, dis- you know, he's still, even once you've got saved, he's still trying to work. The difference is now because you've got the Spirit of God inside of you, there's power in there. And the Spirit of God, if you're sensitive, he'll answer those things and show you what's going on. And so Satan blinds the eyes, not him personally, but I mean his demons try to blind their eyes, confuse them, distract them. And you may share something with them and then, you know, they'll, they'll, these thoughts will come to them. You know, that's just emotional. That's just this. That's just this. He's trying to confuse and distract. But prayer, the power of prayer shuts the devil up or his demons. It distracts them. If you can see in the spirit realm when somebody's praying, especially if they're praying in the spirit, because the devil has no idea what you're saying when you're praying in the spirit, drives them up a wall. I mean, it distracts them. They don't love, and especially when you just say, Jesus. 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 Don't get mad at the devil. Just say, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Oh, they start scrambling. It's like turning the lights on and the roaches go like that. Turning the what on? The light on. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Some of them just went out the back door. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, 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 Jesus. Turn with me to Colossians, verse 13. Colossians and Ephesians are kind of mirror images of each other with some differences. Verse 13, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses, having wiped out 
the handwriting of the requirements that was against us. The word wiped out means eradicated. It's as if acid would pour over it. You know, when you pay off your mortgage, they'll send you the note back, Mark paid. This is if they sent the note back and they'd taken the debt that was on there originally and they take ink eradicator and they, because you, you can't go back and find out what the debt used to be. See, with your mortgage, when you pay it off, and you will pay it off, when you do that, you, you can always pull it out and say, but this is how much I originally owed. I can show you what I used to. But it's paid, but it's a But the debt that was against you, there's no record of it. They can't go back and find out how much you owed because it was eradicated. It was wiped out by the blood of Jesus. It's an ink eradicator. that was contrary to us, having taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Verse 15, having disarmed. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. When did he do that? Where did he do that? I I doubt that the headlines of the Jerusalem Gazette on the day after the resurrection, showed pictures of this publicly, public humiliation of the principalities and powers. Why? Because it didn't happen in Jerusalem. It happened in the pit of hell. Because when He came alive, and there are people that will tell you, Jesus never went to hell, but He says, will you leave my soul in Hades? If He didn't go to hell, then we have to. Because He was our substitute. Whatever He didn't go through, we have to. And He went, and when, he, when the price was paid, the Spirit of God went in there, made Him alive in the place of death, reached over and grabbed the keys of death, hell, and the grave. He says, they're now mine. They're not yours anymore. And made a public show of them openly. So when you say the name Jesus, they've had personal experience with that name. It sends shudders up and down their spine. You can yell and scream and get mad at them. They're not impressed with you. They're not impressed with me. But the name Jesus on your lips scrambles their mind. You know how he loves to make get you afraid so your mind gets confused and scrambled? Just start saying, Jesus. Scrambles his mind. Throws fits. They start scurrying all over the place. The point is this. It's a spiritual warfare. It's a spiritual warfare. It's a spiritual warfare. Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10. We got time to do this. Old Testament, John. Last of the big prophets. Now, we've been talking about Daniel and the three Hebrew children on Sunday. So you have an idea of who he is. Daniel began to ask God some questions. And we're going to go to chapter 10. It's in here somewhere. It was in here earlier. On the third year 
of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name is called Bathshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. Verse 2. In those days, I, Daniel, now this is his testimony, was mourning for three full weeks. That means he was fasting. But it was a particular type of fast. I ate no pleasant food, nor meat, nor wine came to my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all. In other words, I didn't fix myself up and look sharp. Till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Now on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river that's called the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with gold of Uphaz. His body was like beryl, his face was like the appearance of lightning, his eyes were like torches of fire, and his arms and feet were like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words were like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them, so they all fled to a hiding place. So this is interesting, talking about spirits, because obviously it's an angel. They couldn't see the angel, but they could sense his presence. They could sense his presence. Now you and I are so used to this natural realm, because this is all we've really ever known. And we can talk about angels and we can talk, read, you know, the very few glimpses we have into heaven of, in Isaiah 6, which we've spent some time in on Sundays. And you can look in Revelation and read some of that thing that's hard to understand. But I guarantee you, if an angel showed up in here right now, none of you would sit here, including me, casually. We'd all hit the floor. The hair of your head, even if you didn't have any, would stand up. In fact, maybe that's what some of us need. <laughs> I mean, the, 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 the glory of that realm is so infinitely surpassing that our senses are just shut down in the presence of it. C- couldn't handle it. Your brain would freeze up. Because now you, can, you could begin to understand how these men like Paul and how these men like, like, like um, uh, Isaiah tried to find words, or John tried to find words to describe what they saw, and it just, they just, just, just nothing can do it. So here these other men, they felt the presence, but they couldn't, didn't see it, so they fled in terror. Therefore I was left alone, verse 8. When I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned into frailty in me, and I retained no strength. His legs got wobbly. Some of you, when we had the healing service, your wigs, leg, wigs got wobbly. <laughs> like my tongue just did. Your legs got wobbly. Mm. Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face, and my face was to the ground. And suddenly a hand touched me and made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved. Wouldn't you like God to send an angel and say, Danny, greatly beloved? I believe we are, but it would be nice. Aye. Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking to this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. This is three weeks later. 
So look, first thing he's saying to him is, Daniel, when you prayed, it didn't take three weeks for your prayers to kind of work their way up there and God and get God's attention. Let me see. I've got... Uh, oh, yeah, there's something over here. Oh, yeah. It's, oh, it's Daniel. Yeah. No. From the first time you prayed, your request was heard. And I have come... Listen, look at this. I've come because of your words. I'm talking about spiritual warfare, praying for the lost. Here's God in heaven, and here's an angel standing next to God, and the angel comes in response to Daniel's prayer. But notice, verse 13, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. This isn't Cyrus. This is a principality or power. The prince, so it must be a principality. This is a high-ranking spiritual being, demonic being, over the, over the nation of Persia. He withstood me. He withstood the angel of the Lord sent to do something in response to Daniel's prayer. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes of God, came to help me, for I had been left alone, had I, I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. And now I've come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. Now, I've heard some people teach, well, but we don't need that because we've got the Spirit of God living in us. And that's exactly right. So when you seek an answer to prayer of wisdom and instruction from God, there's no battle that goes through the principality of, of Seekonk or wherever you live. Because the Spirit of God is living in you. But when it comes to getting an angel to do something in for somebody else in response to your prayers, that angel may have to fight its way through some spiritual opposition that the person you're praying for may have loosed in their lives. We don't have time to get into it tonight, but what, what, I mean, we might at some point, when we talk, if we talk more about spiritual warfare, in fact, we may get into it tonight a little bit. Your words, especially a Christian's words, they are spiritually powerful. So when you're praying for somebody, they may have spoken words over their life that have authorized demonic spirits to do things in their life. They've authorized it. And now you're praying for God to intervene in their lives and those spirits may still be operating at their permission. So some angel trying to get through them may run into opposition and it took 21 days and had to enlist the help of an archangel to get through. I forgot where I was going. It was a distracting spirit, must have been. <laughs> Can't be, I'm getting older. <laughs> it was had to do with our words. Oh, yeah. 
Back to Ephesians. That's what's next in my notes, that's why. (laughs) Back to Ephesians, chapter 10. Uh, Chapter 6, excuse me. See, some of you are paying attention. We talked about this when we talked about the armor of God a couple of years ago. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And we taught this out of the spiritual armor. What I taught you is all the other weapons, all the other parts of the armor are defensive. This is the only part in this teaching that has an offensive, aggressive purpose. And notice what it's called. It's called the sword of the Spirit. And what is the sword of the Spirit? It is the Word of God on your lips. When you speak the Word, you are authorizing spiritual beings to exercise those words on your behalf. We can't go back there tonight, but you've, you know enough of what, that when Jesus was, went through the three temptations, this is Satan in spiritual warfare trying to dis- derail him, to tempt him to exercise, to use his powers under Satan's authority, because Satan said so, which is to turn the stones into bread. To get him to worship Satan and therefore to receive the authority that Jesus was going to need, not directly from God, we traced this through a number of weeks ago, but still through Satan, the way you and I used to before we were saved. And in each of the three cases, Jesus Jesus didn't fight this spiritual battle with anything other than what? It is written. He didn't even say, get behind me, get out of here, Satan, I cast you out. He just stood there with all the pressure coming against him, and he said, it is written, and he quoted the Word of God, and when he quoted the Word of God, he authorized angelic beings to enforce that Word against his enemy. If that's true... then when we speak words contrary to the word, could we not also be authorizing demonic spirits to operate? Life and death are in the power, not the influence. I used to think that verse meant, well, what that's saying is, you know, words, words affect people. I remember my mother, we had a bully in the neighborhood. When I was a boy. She, Sticks and stones will break your bones, but names will never hurt you. So she said, go tell that to the bully. And I did, and he picked up some sticks and stones and threw them at me. <laughs> he really did. <laughs> but I used to think that verse meant, you know, well, w- words have an influence on people, and you can say cutting words that can be hurt. No, that's influence. So if, the wor- if, the, if, if Proverbs says... 
that, that, that influence is, in, is in, that, that, that life and death is in the influence of the tongue, but it talks about the power of the tongue. It is a spiritual force. It releases a spiritual force in our life, either demonic force or angelic force for a Christian. So is it not possible, if you're praying for a relative or somebody, that they have released through their words, not just their words, their deeds, by bowing to certain things, by desiring certain things, they've released those spiritual forces of darkness to work in their lives and so it's going to take some prayer it's going to take some persistent authorization for our angelic spirits to work against those to cut their way through and so that's why when we don't see a result right away we've got to keep praying we've got to keep praying we've got to keep praying because we don't know what the battle is Right? Romans 8.26 says, sometimes you don't know what to pray. You don't know the what. Literally in Greek it says, you don't know the what to pray. We don't know what's going on because it's going on in the spirit realm that we can't see unless God gives us discerning of spirits so that opens our eyes to see. So that's why it's critical that we have to be discerning, following the leading of the spirit when we pray, there's, a, there's an expression that some intercessors will say and that, that because they've learned to persist in prayer led by the Spirit, not just praying in the Spirit, but led by prayer by the Spirit, is they prayed through. They prayed through, and what that means is they prayed until there was a sense of release inside. They prayed until there was a sense. Sometimes, sometimes they'll know to pray, and we need to... We need to all learn to be more sensitive to this because they felt a burden inside. They felt not, not, not you know, it's a spiritual thing, not a mental thing, not an emotional thing. It's not like looking at a person and feeling compassion for them and saying, oh, wow, boy, I really feel for them. That's not what this is like. This is a spirit thing inside. It may have nothing to do with your mind. Your mind may have no relationship with it at all, may have no understanding even of who it is, but there's just something that's inside of you, just a heaviness is that right? Just a heaviness. It's a weightiness. I can see some of our intercessors. Just, and and you, if you'll pray through until that begins to release off of you. That's the Holy Spirit saying it's broken through. There's a breakthrough. Not naturally in the spirit realm. And often that happens well before you see the physical manifestation. But there's a breakthrough that takes place because it's fought, first of all, in the spirit realm before it's seen in the natural realm. So we need to be persistent and persevere until we get the results instead of just praying until we see something. And if we don't see something in 10 minutes, well, I'll go on to something else because I guess God didn't hear my prayer. That's why Jesus said, when I come back, will I find faith? Because it takes a tremendous degree amount of faith to intercede in situations until the answer comes. Well, there's some others we'll get into next time, So, but we need to stop here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you right now for giving us understanding, Lord. Your word contains understanding and instruction so that we can know how to pray through. Father, I just, I just believe in my heart that you really desire to call more of us
to the ministry of intercession. I know we have people in our church that that is their ministry here and they, they, they serve in groups of intercessors, but, but the, you would call all of us by your Spirit, oh God, teach us what that's like to pray through. Teach us what it's like to sense that spiritual burden, Lord, on our hearts and learn to be diligent and persevere until we know it's been prayed through. Father, in this hour and day in which we live, there's such an intensity increasing of spiritual activity in this area especially. Lord, raise up for us intercessors. Make us intercessors that will learn how to persevere and pray through. Open our eyes to see the importance, Lord, that we may come up and offer ourselves to you. And for that grace, we thank you. And for that privilege, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.